Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS. Technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. Today's episode is going to be an exciting one. We're covering eyeball reform. What even is it and why do we care? We're going to get into it in a second. I'm joined in the studio by one of our favourites. Welcome back, Sandra Thompson. And then I've got two new faces. It's exciting. I rarely have new people anymore. We've been going so long. But I've got Mark Randall and, if I get it out, Chris Rappertopoulos. Why did I need an easier surname, Chris? He's looking at me going, Ruth, you've done that totally wrong. I'll apologise in advance. <laughs> okay, so less about names, more about eyeball reform. What is, I'm coming to you first, Mark, what is eyeball reform? Well, Ruth, so during the financial crisis, there were some very well-publicised scandals about how LIBOR and some of these other so-called benchmark interest rates that are used around the world were set. What that prompted from the global regulators was a push to reform and change these rates to make them more robust. What that is now meaning is we're seeing across the globe in different jurisdictions a whole raft of proposed changes so that the familiar interest rates that people are using today are either being amended in terms of how they're calculated or are being planned to be replaced with some rates that might actually be quite different insofar as they might look back at what historical rates have been rather than projecting kind of what your rate for the next three months will be and a whole host of other changes and the level really is in the detail. Okay, so Chris, coming to you now and something I always think is more important is why do we even care about it? So Ruth, probably the, the biggest thing to remember is this isn't just a banking issue. This affects any anybody that... Um, has agreements that refer to LIBOR currently. Um, so it's not just your bank loans, it can extend to anything you're investing in, um, leases, intercompany arrangements, supply chain financing, factoring. There are a whole number of agreements uh, that potentially refer to LIBOR that uh, calculate interest rates one way and are now going to be um, have interest calculated another way. Perfect. So key thing there, I think, just in case there's non-FS listeners, don't turn off. It's going to affect everyone. So obviously, this is an accounting podcast. So what we really care about is my debits and credits. What are the accounting issues, Sandra? Thanks, Ruth. And I'm going to focus in this next section on the accounting issues that are really hitting home now. Um, And as Mark said, the actual reforms are probably still some way off. But at the moment, we have a lot of uncertainty about what exactly is going to happen and when it will play out. And in terms of accounting, the main impact that has is to do with hedge accounting, because hedge accounting is by its nature forward-looking. And there are three key accounting issues I'm going to talk about. And as I go through, um, the ISB put out an exposure draft of some possible changes to both IFRS 9 and IS39 designed to deal with those issues. So I'll cover off those at the same time. They're all to do with hedge accounting. So the first one is to do with the highly probable test. So for a cash flow hedge of forecast cash flows, um, both IS39 and IFRS9 require that those forecast cash flows are highly probable. Now, we have plenty of hedges today that are designated as a forecast cash flows on, say, a variable rate debt, or maybe on a, a future forecast debt issuance. Um, and the question obviously arises, well, how do you know if they're highly probable? If those cash flows are, are designated in terms of an eyeball, and maybe it's a 20-year debt, and you know, well, they're going to be cash flows on that debt, but in 20 years' time, they're not going to be eyeball. They're going to be something else. How can you say those cash flows are highly probable? 
Um, so the relief that's proposed by the ISB is that for the purpose of that highly probable test, you can assume the contractual terms don't change. So if you're borrowing references LIBOR today, you assume it carries on referencing LIBOR for the full 20-year life. And therefore, if you test it with an interest rate swap that also references LIBOR, you similarly assume the swap carries on referencing LIBOR for the full 20 years. So therefore, you don't caught up with, I don't know what cash is, but I can't <laughs> say what's highly probable. So that's the first one. Um, the second one is a bit similar. It's to do with the prospective effectiveness test. So to get hedge accounting, you have to show either under IFRS 9 that there's an economic relationship between the thing you're hedging and the derivative you're hedging with, or alternatively under IS 39 that your hedge is expected to be highly effective. So you actually the hedge is going to work, if you like. Now, again, when you look at our 20-year hedge, it's very difficult to know for certain it will work because you don't know what the rates are going to be. You don't know how they're going to transition. It could be that the derivative moves before the, the item being hedged, all those kind of complications. So again, the ISB proposes some relief that just says, assume that the contractual terms don't change. So similarly to the one I just talked about, if you have a 20-year eyeball borrowing hedge with a 20-year swap, both referencing eyeball today, you assume they carry on referencing eyeball and you test effectiveness on that basis. So that's the first two. Um, and the third one is actually to do what's what the standard calls non-contractually specified risk components. There's a big mouthful. What am I talking about? <laughs> Sounds fun. Um, I think the most likely here case here is actually when you're not hedging floating rate debt, but hedging fixed rate debt. And a lot of companies have fixed rate debt that they have an interest rate swap. They swap into floating. Now, that in, in IFRS terms is a fair value hedge. Um, many companies will say, well, that's designated as a hedge of changes in fair value attributable to changes in eyeball, a LIBOR. Maybe it's three-month LIBOR. Now you can immediately see when you look forward, you've got eyeball reform coming, you've got your 20-year hedge of, of here's a fair value hedge designated in terms of LIBOR. How can I say that LIBOR will be separately identified? I'll be able to know it's still there over the full 20-year life. Um, and the relief the ISB is proposing here is to say, well, if when you first designated that hedge, whether it's several years ago or in 2019 or even potentially in 2020, as long as when you first designated it, you could say there was an eyeball component in there and that was separately identifiable, then you don't have to go back and carry on demonstrating it's still there and still separately identifiable. So those are three very valuable reliefs. Brilliant. So I think that's really positive. The ISB is actually, you know, giving us some practical reliefs to how to deal with this big change. I could listen to you talk about IFRS and all day, Sandra, which is something I thought I'd never say. <laughs> mind, I'm not a financial insurance person at all, but you make it seem simple, this hedging malarkey. Um, obviously, anything to do with the board, one of the questions we always get is, yeah, but when's it coming in? Is it going to be like four years time? So can you tell us a bit about timing? Yeah, that's a very good question, Ruth. In particular, as the uncertainties I refer to exist today, so we don't want to hang around. And the ISB is also aware that they need to get on with this and do this as a, a matter of some urgency. Um, so they are hoping to finalise the amendments by the end of the year. Um, because of that, they've deliberately given us a short comment letter, a short comment period on this exposure draft. So if you do want to respond, you've only got to the 17th of June. Um, so please, if you're interested, please do read it and get your comment letter in. Otherwise, what they propose will become probably what we get. Um, it's also important to note that this could be needed in 2019. So the ISB is proposing that this could be adopted retrospectively. Um, so although it's not issued to the end of the year, when you come to your 2019 financial statements, if you need it, you will potentially be able to apply it. 
Um, there's one slight wrinkle for companies in Europe that, of course, to apply this, it needs to be endorsed. And there are some questions over the endorsement timetable and whether Europe will be able to do that in time for 2019 year-ends. Yeah, standard setting, endorsement and urgency are rarely the things that line up all together, unfortunately. But 45 days, we must be like internally manic trying to write in on our comments. So 17th of June, key date there, thank you. I'm going to come back to you now, Chris. So with this tight timeline, what would you be recommending companies should be doing now? So Ruth, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage companies to obviously read the exposure draft, make sure that the remedies fit and fix their, their situations. And then depending on how impacted they are uh, by, by um, the, the potential accounting, either respond directly uh, to, to the exposure draft or respond via your industry association. A good one, for example, is the Association of Corporate Treasurers who um, are, are, are helping lots of corporates deal with the complexity here. That's clearly here in the UK, but they are sister uh, organisations across the, the world too. So a brilliant advice there. We need to um, definitely look at that ED and start thinking about what we need to do. Um, so the ISB is proposing three great reliefs, but I'm guessing there is lots of stuff that's probably not considered, Mark. So now coming back to you, what areas do you know are outside that <laughs> outside that guidance? Exactly, Ruth. As ever, kind of people's wish lists aren't entirely going to be met by the Father, Father Christmas of the ISB. So I think there's two key areas on hedge accounting, and one broader point I would focus on. So first of all, in terms of the hedge accounting. I think the clear message here is the ISB are not giving a complete free pass. If there is ineffectiveness that arises from these hedges, there is no way you can account for the instruments you wish you had. You've eventually got to account for the reality, and that's going to hit the income statement if there is ineffectiveness from it. The second point is that, as Sandra discussed, there's reliefs around the prospective hedge effectiveness test and looking forward. But under IS39, when time elapses and you go forward in time, you then got to do the retrospective test, which has got this bright line barrier of 80 to 125 percent. And if your movements you're experiencing are outside of those, then your hedge terminates. Now, the ISB are not proposing to give any reliefs around that. So in particular, if you've got a hedge today under IS39 that's already experiencing some ineffectiveness, so you've got relatively less headroom, as it were, against the 80 to 125, if LIBOR tips you over the edge, looking back, there is not relief from that. And I think that's a question that's up for debate, and I think many do think that maybe that's an area the ISB should look at, and I would expect that to be raised in comments. So they're the two pieces around um, hedging. And then more broadly, because this is only what phase one and is only focusing on the, the forward-looking hedging piece that Sandra described, there is nothing yet around other modifications you might take later in the whole LIBOR transition piece. In particular, if you've got financing or loans where you are striking out pay interest at LIBOR plus X and replacing that with kind of the new rate, there's a lot of debate around how that might be accounted for. That's something Sandra you'll move on to, but there is as of yet, there is no free pass or clarifications in the ISB to make that easier. So I think an area to look out for is when you're making any changes that go beyond what is strictly required for eyeball, because that might introduce a whole bundle of other accounting complexities. 
I'm giggling to myself over here, Mark, in the corner of, I think it's going to be my favourite quote podcast, the Father Christmas podcast <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who would take that. I don't know Is that who okay? wants to take the Father Christmas. I love it. But yeah, I'm going to be kids, like, kids never oh, get the presents to Mark, then. he says Father Christmas, the ice has got a Christmas wish list. I'm not sure. Their the sack <laughs> is not <laughs> bulging. <it's... laughs> oh, I love it. Anyway, apart from my giggling, which I never thought I'd have in an IFRS 9 podcast, we'll move on. Back to you, Chris. Um, so what else do people need to think about today? So Ruth, I think it's really important that accountability for uh, understanding the consequences of this reform on an organization's contracts is allocated, that there's clear accountability um, as to what needs to be done, when that needs to be done by, and that the strategies, etc., to, for example, modify contracts or change systems or communicate the, the consequences of these changes to the markets is understood and thought through. So we've heard already that there, there are a number of accounting consequences from uh, arising from these changes. Um, some of those could arise on new agreements uh, being entered into or indeed existing contracts being modified. Those really need to be thought through because they could give some nasty accounting surprises which could have a number of knock-on implications, I'm thinking impacting on covenants and uh, other, other undertakings by way of example. Um, so allocate, the, allocate responsibility, understand the exposures, work out your strategy, and keep, keep people informed. And then turning back to you again, Mark, is there anything um, from a financial services perspective specifically that people should be thinking about? Yeah, Ruth, I think the, 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 there are a number, but the one I would really flag is looking at around de-recognition. So financial services companies typically have a much larger number of contracts and a greater variety. And sort of at a very high level, the accounting consequences get rather, have the potential to be rather nastier if you conclude that the extent of modifications to contracts causes, from an accounting perspective, the old one to disappear off your balance sheet and a new one to come on because you're concluding the extent of those changes is so significant you can't pretend that you've still got the original instrument. And that brings with it a number of complications, gains and losses when you recognise that new instrument taking account of current fair value views in the market. And also under IFRS 9, if you're, you've got the asset, because you're a financial um, institution, you've got the, the SPPI test, which is a complex test to work out whether you're even in the game to be able to amortise costs to count this instrument, which if you want to avoid volatility is where most people go. So there's just some, some nasty consequences. I would say that when we've had discussions internally, there's a lot of sympathy um, amongst people that a what is effectively an enforced change driven by regulators that's market-wide, it should not be driving wholesale de-recognition and those consequences I talked through. But I think there is the risk at the margins where instruments are being changed quite significantly that you might not be able to avoid that conclusion unless the ISB again gives some more reliefs in phase two. So I think a first step is look at your de-recognition policy, look at different types of instruments and do a risk assessment to say, is there anything I really need to be aware of here? And then the other consequence really is that if you're the financial institution going out initiating changes to contracts with your clients that might often be corporates, really understanding 
are changes only being made that are required for LIBOR, or is that change being taken as an opportunity to make other changes like reducing the spread on a loan, increasing maturity, that sort of stuff, because I think generally speaking, people think that those sorts of changes are going to have to be accounted for just as they would be today without any association with LIBOR. You can't sort of hide them under LIBOR and any eyeball release we might get in due course. So really making sure that the accounting folks understand what's going on in the business side is going to be fundamental. Perfect. So I think one of the things I'm taking away from listening to you all is it's we, obviously eyeball reform is massive anyway, but the accounting consequences are potentially far reaching. And although the ISB is addressing hedging at the moment and not all areas, as we heard from the Christmas wish list, um, there's a big other thing. So I heard derecognition, modification. So Sandra, just coming to the end now, um, and I'm sure we could be here all day, but what other accounting issues might arise coming out the back of this? Thanks, Ruth. Um, And as I go through again, the ISB is aware of these, so I'll touch on what the ISB might do. Um, The first thing I should say is the exposure draft we've just had, the ISB is is labelling kind of phase one. They do expect there to be a phase two of an eyeball reform project to look at these other issues, but of course we don't yet know what they will say. So the first one actually is the one that Mark's just touched on, which is contracts will need to be updated and amended, and how do you do the accounting for that? That could be derivatives, it could be non-derivatives. Um, the simplest case would be you have a, a clause that says, well, the interest rate is LIBOR plus a spread. You cross out LIBOR and you put the new rate in its place and you probably change the spread at the same time. How do you do the accounting for that? Um, there's three things you could do. Mark mentioned you might get to derecognition. That was all kinds of nasty accounting consequences. Um, you might see as, as what IFRS 9 calls a modification, which would typically give you a gain or loss, so they're different from the one you get on derecognition. Um, or you might say, actually, all you do is, is in the accounting terms, you just replace LIBOR with the new rate. So if you were booking interest income at LIBOR plus X, you now book interest income in the future at the new rate plus your new spread at Y, and just carry on. I think most people think the third of those is the most sensible accounting, um, but we'll have to see where the ISB gets, gets to and whether they agree with that and whether indeed they, they make that clear. Um, the second thing I should say is, coming back to my good friend, hedge accounting, and I really love hedge accounting, is the release we've got at the moment are all to do with the uncertainty about what will happen. At some time, that uncertainty is going to go away and things actually will start happening. So, that's, for example, LIBOR will be replaced probably with Sonia in the UK, some of the, the European rates will be replaced, some of the US rates will be replaced, all around the world, rates will actually be replaced. Um, If you have designated a hedge under LIBOR, you need to do something because clearly that hedge is no longer LIBOR-based, so you'd have to, at least in your hedge documentation, replace LIBOR with the new rate, for example. Typically, we say that when you change hedge documentation, that causes you to stop your old hedge and have to start a new one. Now, in the case of a market-wide LIBOR reform, that doesn't seem very sensible either, so that's something, again, the ISB might look at and give us further relief from. The final thing I should say is we're, we're talking here as if you know, this all happens when the rates are actually replaced. We are seeing a number of companies and financial services clients think about putting in clauses now to kind of anticipate what will happen, so to kind of hardwire what will happen when the changes occur. That makes a lot of practical sense. It's not impossible to amend, certainly if you're a bank, with lots and lots and lots of contracts to amend them all on the same day. So to try and, if you like, put clauses in that future-proof and say, well, when LIBOR is replaced with Sonia, 
or do this to the contract and it will happen on this date and that way. So some of these issues are not as forward-looking as you might think. So thank you so much for telling us all of the things we need to worry about. I feel like maybe everyone at the end of this is like, ah, what am I going to do now? So we obviously want lots of guidance for them. Where should they be going to for help, Sandra? I think the best place is on pwc.com. There is a libel reform page. Um, if you search for it, that is your one-stop shop. You'll find on there an in-brief that summarises exposure draft. We've drawn together a placemat of all the various accounting issues we've identified and we'll be adding more stuff. But there's plenty of business-related stuff as well as the accounting-related stuff. That, that is your one-stop shop for everything to do with LIBOR, accounting and otherwise. Brilliant. So they've got one place to go to. I'm hoping there's a little picture of I speak Father Christmas and he's handing out eyeball gifts. I'm never going to forget it. Mark's looking at me like, drop the joke now. <laughs> so uh, thank you everyone for joining me. Thanks to, uh, uh, for coming again, Sandra. Mark and Chris come back soon. Chris, even though I can't pronounce your name, you have to come back anyway. <laughs> and um, like Sandra said, everything's on the LIBOR reform page on pwc.com. Um, I've been your host with Pretty Happy Accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.